Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hey, my wonderful friends. Okay, this week we've got our good friend Jeff with us. Now, many of you may know Jeff from the Facebook group, from his awesome book. There's all sorts of reasons you might know Jeff, and he's he gives so much to the present and sober community, so we're so excited to have him here. And I'm not going to say much else, because Jeff does such a great job of just talking about what makes him tick and the reasons why he does the things he does. And uh, so we're really, really just proud to have him part of the community and I'm really happy to have him on the on the show. And this has been a long, long time coming. It was supposed to happen last year and it's finally here. Um, awesome. So just before I hand you over, if you're looking for an extra 10 minutes of waffle from uh, from me, from Mr. Sam this week, then you can come and find me on my mini solo cast, the Rebel Spirituality Podcast. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of the support that so many of you have given so far. Um, and I'd love to see as many of you over there as possible, really. It'd be great to uh, to get you there. All right, team, I hope you have an amazing week. I'll hand you over to me, Elliot Jeff. See you soon. Well, team, Ellie Crow has actually let me do the intro for this. So uh, it's pretty amazing. And that's because I've got my mate Jeff here, Jeff Power Socks. And this this has been, we've been uh, over a year, actually, I think more than that, we've been talking about this. And just before we went live, Jeff was talking about how amazing it was that when we first started talking to each other, this podcast wasn't a thing. Jeff has an amazing book that he's going to talk about, which also wasn't a thing. And we were kind of having these conversations where it was like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And wouldn't that be nice? But it's actually like, it really is a thing now. And we have, you know, people that keep coming back and and reading our stuff. And and it's so great. And Jeff is, if anyone's in the Facebook group, you'll know that the posts that Jeff puts in there are hugely valuable. There's always a string of people underneath saying how much they love his writing. And my experience of of the book and everything, mate, was that you are a wizard with language. And I can't remember exactly what I wrote when I wrote a review, but it was like, it's like going on the trip with you is amazing. So we're so pleased to have you here. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, so welcome, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a, 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 my wife yesterday, she goes, I was getting out of the shower and she goes, are you excited to talk to Sam and Ellie tomorrow? And I was like, Tammy, I'm already been talking to Sam and Ellie. I'm in the shower having conversations that I'm not actually having. You know, I'm like, she's like, but isn't that normal? <laughs> so I'm so excited to be here. But we've already talked, you know, it's like all gone in my head. And so I hope it comes out as good here as, you know, I've mastered it in my head. I have no doubt. Um, dude, like we said, there's so many things we could talk about, but um that book is amazing and it's not like a norm it's not your normal quit lit book it really is a journey into your soul and into your relationship and into your journey of healing and there's so much amazing stuff in there so i think if it makes sense to you that would be a wonderful place to start we'd love to just talk about how that came about and all that cool stuff yeah i appreciate it the book is called uh finding bishop castle a road trip to recovery and um you're right it <clears throat> I've always enjoyed writing. It's been my form of healing. So as you said, you know, when I post in the Facebook groups, since day one of my recovery, I wanted 
I think it's maybe a codependent nature. I wanted the words to fit. I wanted there to be an emotional ting and a tug, and I wanted to connect the dots and put the puzzle together. Um, so I've always enjoyed writing and people would say, you know, you should write a book, but I just quit lit spin done. It's this linear, um, you know, stability, shit show, redemption. And it comes usually in the redemption of a cold basement in a, a church where you're sitting in a circle of plastic chairs, you know, and that's redemption at the end of a lot of quitlet. And I didn't want to tell a linear story. I told the story from a framework of, I was probably about 21 mo months post recovery since my last drink. And if I was to be honest at 21 months of recovery, <clears throat> I was, I was wavering. I didn't know if sobriety was going to be, the finality or if I was teasing myself back into thinking maybe I can handle you know moderation I've got this under control I've learned a lot about the science my body the whys and maybe I can go back and start moderately you know and socially drinking and at 21 months it was a random Saturday my wife and I woke up um, we didn't have anything to do our schedule was cleared so you know we laid around in bed and we're just throwing ideas out there. And we ended up um, taking this road trip on a whim to a place called Bishop Castle, which is tucked in the Colorado mountains. And it's this obscure sort of castle that this single man has been building for 60, 60 or so years. And that it's a spectacle, but it's, it's a very off the beaten path type thing. And so during this day, um, not metaphorically, but literally during this day, um, by the end of it, I had really realized that I wouldn't have had that day. Um, <laughs> Damn it. I wouldn't have had that day had I not been in recovery. Um, and we listened to music, we laughed, we cried, we got donuts, we, you know, and then metaphorically throughout this this day, I started um, transposing the freedom and agency that this man had to do his thing, to build this castle. Um, his freedom and agency, I started kind of transposing that to my new freedom and agency. Um, what I could build beyond if I was just not tethered. Now, for him, he might have become tethered by restrictions, regulations, building codes, at every step, he did not let anything bind him to what he was doing. And I just draw a lot of similarities. So when I wrote the book, Finding Bishop Cat, again, people were kind of egging me on to write a book. I didn't want to do the linear sort of shit show that kind of is customary and quit lit. And I wanted to use that single day as a uh, time stamp throughout it to dip into my backstory. So you get a little bit of what was kind of a horrific alcohol pedigree that I had. And then you brought it full circle to the end of this day. So the book, writing the book was intrinsic. I didn't expect it to you know, kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't care what it did as long as I got it out of my out of my soul and on paper and it was creative and uh, and then I, I i titled it finding bishop castle a road trip to recovery which in hindsight is like it sounds like some alpha male going out to swing his 
stick sword against goblins or something. And, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it truly is a love story between me, my wife, who is a moderate drinker and has helped me in my recovery since day one. And it's a love story of, of us getting yeah. where we are now. Yeah. Well, I, I can see that the, you know, when you're, when you're reading it, you can see that it was uh, written through you. And that that's amazing. And I think the the like even as you're talking now, like, oh, that literally happened. And then there's this more metaphorical kind of mm. story that's building as well. Those two things interweaving are really beautiful. And that's every time I've seen you communicating or writing, um, I'm always touched by how good you are at bringing people into your world. And I think that's that's really powerful because as you say, there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of very powerful writing out there, but there's a lot of stuff that follows the same kind of arc and uh and, and yours it's a really, really beautiful story. And I love that so that was kind of like a a real shift then, right? That happened on that one day. So you have this experience that leads to the book. And there was the, it looks like there was this huge shift internally in how you looked at this and like t- tell us a bit about that, because it looks it looks Yeah. Incredible. I mean <clears throat> So I wrote, I wrote the book and I just sat on it. Um, I had it in two editors' hands. I needed to do uh, the rewrites. And you're going through this probably a little bit when you, when you get into the rewrite section, you, when you get done writing what's inside your soul, sometimes you don't want to go revisit it. I was, I told my wife, I was like, that was like my soul was a pen cushion having to revisit what I gone through and don't want to revisit again. And so when you do rewrites on the book, you have to revisit it. And I just sat on the edits because it was really for me to get it out, not necessarily to go through the full course of, of putting it on paper. And um, I, I sat on it for a while. Um, and I thought to myself, after about a year, even if this comes out on paper, I'm so... I, I want to have the time and the ability to follow it up when people have questions, when people are interested. And, you know, you can get so busy in the Western world that it gives you just steep anxiety just to not be able to tend to people. So I got this somewhat of a harebrained idea to the, the book really is about having fun and enjoying your time and the joyful side of sobriety. I got this harebrained idea. I told my wife, I was like, what if we kind of like, we're, we're midlife, we're not retirement age. So we're like, what if we just cash out now? We go to a beach, we get an inexpensive condo, we wrap up the book, we, put, we launch it there, and then we actually have the time and the ability to follow up with our audience, the people who have enjoyed the writing. And then that kind of t- turned full circle into the people who enjoy kind of our content. They can come out and they can visit us in the Dominican Republic and we can help them in the same way that our journey has been a step of joy and freedom. We can start tending to them and help them have a sober vacation, <clears throat> take some of the things that we've put in practice in our lives and bringing out the joy of life and and help them do that as well because so it was kind of like a full circle plan and it was a kind of this at the same time we met a harebrained idea like oh that's that's a big that's a big ask doing all those things 
And it's like, it's really just a macrocosm of what recovery and sobriety is. It's like when you're in an alcohol use disorder, you're tethered mm -hmm. and you don't believe that there's freedom and joy on the other side. And once you learn that there is, you start asking questions about other parts of society that have you tethered. You know, is it the amount that you have to pay for health insurance? Is it the amount of sports that you have to put your kids in? Is it the size of your mortgage or whether you need that third vehicle? You know, you, you start, you're like, I was tethered with alcohol and I know what that freedom looks like. What does it look like if I could take other parts that have me bound and go do something big? And so we did it all. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're two years, two years later since the book published and we've had multiple people come out to the DR and have sober vacations and it's not a retreat. We're not memorizing Eckhart Tolle quotes and trying to sound enlightened. It's, it's beach, it's zip lines, it's monkeys, it's riding in four by fours and, you know, hitting waterfalls. It's fun without the poison. And it's something that I don't, I don't know if we can do it forever, like financially, <laughs> but it's serving us right now to take a break from the Western world and all that bound us. And it's giving other people an opportunity. If they don't come out to have a vacation, gives them an opportunity to at least visually see that dynamic things are possible when they're sober. Mm. Oh, gosh. I love that. And I've got some images in my head of what goes yeah. on down the beach and I want to come and join in. <laughs> sure. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely be there. I'll definitely be there. It's a long time since I've been to the Dominican. Um, I really loved how you framed that. And it made me think about when, like towards the back end of my drinking career, it was all about stress release and relaxation or so I thought. And I felt very silly when I discovered the, the science of how, how alcohol works with the brain and body, but I just never looked into it. And so when I had that moment of realization of, oh, this isn't, not only is this not helping, this is causing the issue. This is exacerbating the issue. The, the desire to drink went in a flash. And I've talked about this so much because it was such a bizarre experience from the day before feeling bonded and feeling fixated and entirely stuck. And if I didn't drink, then I would be feeling miserable and um, deprived and all of those things. So suddenly I felt liberated. And it was uh, like I couldn't remember the last time that I felt like that in my life. And it just blew the doors off. And that, that, from that moment on, because something I'd believed to be true for so long, like that belief had just been busted right open, I decided that I was willing to be wrong about everything. And that's exactly what you were describing about, like all of these things. Well, hang on a minute. So, so I have to sign up to all these things societally, like says who? And so I, I, I smiled when you said it was a harebrained idea, but like the, when people um, start to open the door and see the light in, in the way that you guys have and, and I have and the people that are in our communities have, like even if it's just a small chink of light, doesn't mean that you have to go alcohol free forever, but to just see that there's another possibility, another way. And everything that we've believed as we've been sleepwalking through life might not necessarily be the truth. It's it's utterly, utterly incredible. And what you've created off the back of it is, it is wild. 
Yeah, well, it's not the worst idea to to go plant yourself on a beach and be a writer. <laughs> it's not the most profitable idea, but that's one thing that I've learned that I don't care. You know, yeah. like I've I've spent a good 20, 25 years of adult life, and I think this is why I'm so such an evangelist about this is that we we load ourselves down part. I think most people's problem with alcohol is that we load ourselves down with burden, 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 release. And the only way they know how to release or escape is to take those quick hits, be it alcohol or whatever their their drug or har harming coping practice is of choice mm -hmm. to get some sort of relief. And that says more about Western culture than anything is that we go, 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 go. And then we just flatline in, in harmful ways. And I say, it's not the worst idea because I mean, really building in healthy play, a healthy escape is something that we all need, you know? And I mean, we do it, we do it as children. So if you were a skateboarder or a snowboarder or a gymnast, mm -hmm. You, you don't stop at the first trick, you know, you don't stop at learning how to ollie or learning how to slide or doing a handstand and then going, oh, I'm good. I'm a player. now. What you do is you test your competency levels and you go to the next thing and you go to the next thing. And that's what gives you joy. And we lose that in our adult lives because we go burden, 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 trying to create this identity of success of having the things and then maintaining the things and then paying for the things. And that's not playing. And so when somebody's out there and you see them, you know, getting away or snowboarding or you get out to the mountains and you camp and you go, why don't I do that more often? It's your soul. It's your very essence as being a human going, why don't I play more? And so when we open up our condos or our beach to the people in recovery, we're just inviting them to step into what is all what they're already yearning for, you know, and we're trying to help them along the way because we build unhealthy attachments with alcohol. So it doesn't matter if you're in your neighborhood sitting in a lawn chair drinking, you, you build also an unhealthy attachment when you go on a beach vacation or you go on a vacation because historically you remember burden, 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 release. Well, that's the big E on the I chart of release, right? When you go on a vacation and then you drink. And then when you become a person in recovery, you only associate that beach with a drunken shit show. When really there's so many more dynamic things to do in life in that location. And I think as sober people, as people in recovery who are doing it in a healthy way, we really should be in the business of reconciling fun. You know, the things that alcohol told us were fun that ended up becoming a dumpster fire doesn't mean that those things aren't fun. It means that you go out and you test your competency level to see if you can reclaim it and take the joy. And I, I think Sam said something the other day. It's like, um, let me just look at it here. It says, um, 
you were uncomfortable in the realm of feelings that you weren't going to get any other way. Like people go to a beach and they think I'm not going to get that feeling of joy mm. without the cocktail in my hand. And that's not where the joy is. Yeah. But you have to reconcile that until you see the feelings without the booze to, to really know that it's true, to really know that it's true, not believe that it's true, but to know it's true. Yeah. What's beautiful about what you're up to is that you're, you are kindly and compassionately and in a way that's full of joy enrolling people in a bigger vision of what's possible for them in a, in a different version of life and reality. And, and I, this is, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this before. I'm sure we have in some ways, but this is one of the coolest things that's around the corner for everybody who's on a journey um, into becoming alcohol free or drinking less or whatever, is that you get to step into a different state of consciousness. There is a different game that you can play and you can let go of so many of those games that were keeping you tethered, like you were talking about me. And then you walk into this world where you're untethered and that I was sat on the sofa just yesterday and I was struck like by something I've been hit by before, which was like, holy shit. I now see exactly why it had to be the way it was. I see why my life had to be so difficult, why that was happening. And look at what's happening. Like there's this, this stopping drinking is not just like this marker in my life, but it's kind of like this portal into, into a new fucking world. And that's so amazing. And I think people don't know that. And, and the fact that you're providing a place where people can step into that and learn, not just at an intellectual level, but at a deep soul level that, oh shit, there's more to life. Like fun is not about that or that or alcohol, or whatever. It's in me. It's part of me. It's who I am. It's magical, man. So I'm, I'm so pleased that people like uh, get to come and play. Like what a great way of looking at it, right? That's epic. <laughs> right. And, it, and it doesn't mean they have to come and play where we're at. They can just visually see that it's possible. And mm. I mean, these conversations you have in your podcast, us doing the good work of healing. It just, like you said, a portal. I, I say freedom isn't like, abstinence it's dynamism it's like you create you open up this dynamic space where things can happen and not only can things happen and you step into them but you're aware of them like you start having these emotional sort of bits jolts that you wouldn't have otherwise if you were excuse me if you were dumbing yourself down you know, you're aware and open to the world around you as you step into it for all these little, I think one of the reasons that I can connect with people with my writing is because I've been open and aware of the, what the emotions are as, as I'm stepping into this new world. And so it's, it's dynamism. Freedom just opens that dynamic portal that you're talking about that you're like, and you wouldn't know it if you didn't have the the contrast of what it felt like when you were in a drunken stupor or when you were bound you so it did have to happen i'm thankful i'm very me too <laughs> i've had i've had a little jail time i mean i'm very very much a like i had a sophisticated suburban middle american identity but i also had some jail time and uh a couple of driving consequences and you know i spiraled and I needed that to know how good it can be on the on the back end of being in the, in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. There's something you mentioned earlier that I'd just like to 
inquire into a little bit if, if that's okay because I know that it will mean a lot to people that are, are listening and, and so many people will be in the same situation you mentioned about your wife um that that she still drinks and I just I'd just love for you to talk about that a little bit because you you've spoken about how um how supportive she's been of you and so many people have that dynamic but it can be a really tricky thing to to navigate so I'd just really love to hear your experience if that would be okay yeah let me start by saying it's still tricky so we call it and we call it the biethanol relationship <laughs> so, um we know we know what it is and people also say we should write a book on it and i'm so uncomfortable still with what it is that I don't feel confident in putting, being an expert on it. A relationship is constant, honest, and open communication. So with somebody in recovery and somebody who can still casually drink and they combine, um, there's a constant adjustment because I don't get to change who I am. Um, somebody who can have a quick release or a change in disposition um, can. And one thing I don't do anymore is I don't envy that change because I like who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but we set ground rules, we set boundaries, I, as the person who am not allowed to change who I am, have a constant out where I can back out of any situation. And this would be true if you were visiting your parents on holiday or your mates that would, I'm trying to use holiday and mates because I'm so codependent. I want your vernacular to be posted. Oh, yeah. in <laughs> this is part of the conversation I had in the shower. I was like, Will it be okay if I use American vernacular when I say vacation? Will a huge, <laughs> a huge about portion of our audience is American as well. So don't you worry. Oh, <laughs> they are. Some like, hey, one of us. <laughs> My wife and I's relationship with respect to alcohol is a, is, and I say constant. I mean, I would say that when when we were drinking as a couple because I was a problem drinker and I was taking nips before we even started. You know how it goes. You, you finish the glass before when they go to bed or maybe have two more, we're different than, than they are. Um, when I quit, she was 100% my support partner in quitting with me. And I didn't quit like the people do where they pour the vodka out or pour everything out of the house and they isolate themselves. I actually left my bot half finished bottle of vodka next to my coffee maker for months. So I had to stare at it every morning because I come from, I think a, a realistic perspective that it's always going to be around. It's yeah. going to be at the next corner store. There's not any place that I'm going to drive where I can't get a pub or a bar or um, go go grab a pocket shot or so I left my vodka right by the coffee maker. So I had to make a choice. Every 
that's not going to be everybody's journey. That was just my sort of punk rock vision of fuck you. I'm going to do this, even mm-hmm. though it's right in my face. My wife quit along with me so that I wasn't in sort of um, separate in a se- she wasn't in a separate disposition than I was with me getting better. And then as she wanted to bring that back into her life, it goes very much like the moderate, you know, have have a glass of wine with her girlfriend on a Friday night and leaves it half unfinished. But we talk about it before. We made a, a pact to not talk about it during because the person who is enhanced in their behavior, might not have the same conversation that they have the next day when they're 100% clear. So if anything goes off the rails, which has happened maybe, uh, and I say off the rails, just the cringe factor that you get when someone else is changing a little bit, um, we'll talk about it next day or say, hey, you know, this made me uncomfortable or, you know, I wanted to leave and we had to stay for an extra 45 minutes, but I was telling you, I really needed to leave, you know? And so um, it's a constant adjustment because we change the situations where you drink change, um, your relationships of the people that you drink with change. And so my only, my only thing is my only thing with people is you really need to stay in constant, good, honest communication. Um And that's just relationships in general, you know, it's like, um, it wouldn't matter if it was alcohol, if it was raising the kids and you had differences in the kids, you would need to sit down, pull some time aside, value each other's perspective and feeling. And I would say to the people who are sober that have a partner that still drinks, it's not easy on them either. (laughs) Um, They had a life with you that was ingrained and they expected and they had the joys and they, you know, sang show tunes late at night, you know, until inappropriately at 11 a.m. with you as a partner. They, they're part of this too. And they have a life and they have expectations and they're not used to the new either. So it takes a lot of good, earnest perspective. In and ultimately, in a relationship, valuing the other person's health and well-being beyond anything else. And she does that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for sharing it. And it, it's, 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 it's so common and we get asked a lot about, you know, what should I do in this certain situation or how, how can I cope with this? And the the point that you made about a constant adjustment is really valuable because everything in life is in that constant state of change everything's impermanent and transient and if we want to hang on to things and have things be a constant be a particular way then we're going to suffer so and um, adopting any kind of attitude around flexibility and adaptability and I love what you said about you know, the the things that you've agreed upon and the things that you value between you because that that makes a huge difference. And as you say, it's it isn't just related to to alcohol. It's a, clearly a big part of it in, in terms of this discussion, but it, it goes beyond that. So thank you. And and so in our relationship, Tammy and I, and I think I wrote a blog post on this called um 
the, bi the biethanol relationship, a 10-year anecdote. And this is so dumb. I, I started writing this kind of like 10-year anniversary for my wife and I, um, and I was writing to her as a thank you. And it turned into this ludicrous essay that was like a, a scientific method that had hypothesis, conclusion. And I called it the 10-year anecdote because we drank together for five years. And we've now, I'm six years plus recovered, but five when I wrote it. It's a 10-year anniversary love letter, but it really writes and reads like a scientific experiment. And really the conclusion is, it's like we wouldn't have it any other way. You know, that we're at where we're at because of my recovery. And I wouldn't be in my recovery if she hadn't survived. I love it. I also have a, I think that's so beautiful because these things aren't black and white and wisdom. I mean, what we basically always say to people is you're being guided to this like what's right for jeff what's right for me what's right for ellie what's right like it's gonna look different for everybody for some people you know that bottle of vodka on the um like my i can remember my granddad telling me the same thing about when he stopped smoking it was like i left that pipe by the by the side of my bed boy and i you know and all that kind of stuff but but yeah. for other people like that something completely different makes sense and the same is true of relationships um so i love that you've shared that that's that's amazing thank you um I have a question, and some of this might be linguistical semantics, this kind of uh, linguistics and semantics. When you talk about, so you, I've heard you say kind of in recovery, five years recovered, question, and I'd love to, I, I just, I, I'd just love to know, as it looks to you, when does someone move from being in recovery to being recovered? Like what's, what's in that? And what's, how does it look to you? Um, <laughs> I have a friend who says, like, our mental and physical well-being is the project of our lifetime. I love that quote. <laughs> um, there's always going to be damage. It doesn't have to be alcohol damage. It could be, it could be a fight. It could be a death of a loved one. You know, there's always going to be. So we're always going to be recovering from some kind of damage. But as long as you're in an earnest position that you want to keep learning, that then then you're recovered. You know what I mean? You're you're in that state of wanting to be well. And so, if that's at the forefront of what you do during the day, it's kind of both. And like you said, a gray area. It's like I feel recovered. I don't ever want to go back to something that's going to pull me away from who I've enjoyed being you know clear-headed um and yet i need to have these conversations i need to write i need to learn i need to find ways that i can be better um and so in that way you're recovering from something if you need to be better if you need to find ways that you can do life a little bit better then you're recovering from something or some sort of damage or some sort of untruth that you've picked up along. So that was a really shady way of not answering your question no, and no, saying it's, both. It's interesting to me. It's really interesting to me because you'll hear some people describe themselves as in recovery and they'll use that terminology forever. And for some people, it's just something they say because it's what they what they heard and it's just what, what makes sense to them. Someone else will say alcohol-free, someone else. And then other people will drop all of those things completely and 
I love what you said. I mean, this is how it looks to me. I don't know how it looks to you. Well, I do a bit know a bit how it looks to you is that at the level of our personality, at the level of our psychology or self-image, there's there's shit going on all the time, right? There's kind of like the the experience of um, you know being 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 wounded or there being pain at the level of the ego, and like we hear that thing or that thing's happening, or or maybe we actually, and there may be a different way of thinking about this is the body gets harmed or hurt, right? And we and then it recovers. But I think at the deepest level, I'd, I'd love to know how this looks to you because it may look very different. But at the deepest level, it looks like there's a space. I call it a spiritual space. Other people might call it conscious, something something different, where where well, that's truly where we recover from, that's always healthy, that's always whole, that can't be touched. And so to me, that's the two sides of the same coin, is that at one level, who you really are is unbreakable, untouchable. And that's where the wisdom's coming from. That's from... You know, that's that's your connection with the intelligence behind life. And at another very human level, there's always this kind of like, we've got feelings and there's sadness and there's grief and there's difficult, and there's supposed to be because that's a part of being human. Um, I don't know if that speaks to anything that you were speaking to or if there's any crossover there, but how does it, how does it look to you? I think I th you're definitely right. And I, I keep coming back to the word reconciliation like mm. reconciling so to reconcile is to know that something is supposed to be true and you might say that comes from your center or is always true or some sort of in intuition or divine knowledge or wisdom that you know is true mm. but something is broke on the on the front end of of that so so for example I'll, I'll use an example like, say, say your your hobby is fly fishing, but you're a heavy you're a heavy drinker, and you spent time on the river fly fishing, and you sink six beers into the river so they get cold by noon, and your your fly fishing becomes a drinking event, and all you can can see is when you want to go out to the river is the idea of sitting on the bank of the river and, and drinking, drinking something broke in that moment. You weren't in tune with nature. You weren't in tune with the art and the motion and the wisdom and the rhythm of what you were doing. You were, you were broken in that moment because you desired something in your brain more than what was whole around you. And so reconciling is going and doing that sort of deep work, which can be a spiritual work of going, this was good enough without it. Mm. This place, this center inside mm. you, this world, it was good enough without you having to find a reason to escape it. And I think, hopefully, maybe that's a real roundabout way of saying, it's good enough, and yet there's ways that we can break it. And we have to learn to reconcile ourselves, do the inner work to make it whole again. I love that. And I love that in the image you've painted, which looks very true to me, and this metaphor extends across much of life, is that it's subtractive. It's that there is something on top of the beauty. Like I, I one of the first programs that I ran was called Life is Enough. And 
and my and it, and like like it's more than enough is the truth like it's beautiful it's incredible and then we have thought thinking on top of it or the idea that you know i was running this idea that um i always needed something i always needed a drink or a cigarette or a this or a that to to add something because life wasn't complete unless there was something in it and i now see that they were all in their own way taking something away from the beauty of that present moment and that's the world that i think most people innocently need a little bit of help um seeing and buying into because it seems too far away it and and it doesn't seem like something that's real but it is it's absolutely it's more real than the world that you're living in if you're drinking every day and if you're you know that's that whole thing i think about all of the beautiful experiences that i had um that were doused in this filter and fog of alcohol and now like i so for example i spent 2 years in australia wankered the entire time basically off my face I can't fucking wait to go back. I can't, it's been over 10 years. I can't wait to go back with how I see the world now. Like I'm so excited because it was so amazing in spite of that. I can't imagine what it's going to be like clear. Um, Yeah. Let me tell a quick story. I'm, I'm in the process of writing this little post, but um, actually I think, I think it comes out tomorrow. It's just a little thing that I put together, but this, this will really, you know, coincide with what you're saying. Um, we were at the end of a day with a couple of guests that we had out in the Dominican Republic. And we did all the things. We had their itinerary. We we saw colorful streets. We did all the touristy things. We took a cable car, the Teleferico, up to this large mountain. We explored a park. And the day was, by and large, over. We kind of, we hit all our marks, right? So we're on the way home. We're on the way down in this cable car. And it's kind of last call. Um, everybody that works in the park, the gardeners, the vendors, the, um, you, you know, everybody that worked there got on the cable car with Tammy and I. And um, we're hanging from this cable. We're going down the mountain. And this Dominican lad, he he cues up um, Dream On by Aerosmith. Hopefully I'm not dating you, but it's a very epic, high falsetto song that kind of blends in. And they're all Latin, Spanish speaking, and there's 20 of us in the cable car singing this song, right? In Latin accented voices singing English, Steven Tyler with a big build, all of our falsettos are going up. And at the last falsetto, they all look at me and they cut it off and expect me to hit the high note on my own, right? (laughs) So... I didn't, thank God. (laughs) The the glass in the cable car probably would have broke, but I knew what they were doing. We all laughed, we hugged, we high-fived. So adding alcohol to last call at a pub where you sway and sing these contrived songs and do your hugging and tell the same stories that you probably told the weekend before, that's what we convince ourselves that having a release and getting joy and living this life is. And then when you say life is enough, the difference between finding your bliss untainted, present and clear, swinging in the sky with a bunch of people you don't know, that you didn't need to lubricate your insides to be in that environment 
and have a pure, honest experience is out there for everyone. And it's far and away different than manufacturing it and selling yourself short. I got tingles. And I, and I know that, yeah, I'm really moved by that. And I think I could not think of a more beautiful place for us to to kind of put a momentary pause on this yes. until the next conversation. Because you know, I know I'm, I'm going to speak for Ellie. I know that we can't wait to have you back on, man. But yeah. look, man, there's, there's going to be people listening that would like to know all the stuff, right? So so what, what would you love people to know? Tell the book, the Facebook group, all the stuff that's happening to give us this, give us the tour. Yeah. If they want to find out more, um, uh, finding Bishop castle, a road trip to recovery. It's in the UK. It's in America on amazon.com. Um, see after glow escapes on YouTube is a fun way to just see what we're doing. It's, it's a nice way to see that people are actually out there living without booze and that, that, that environment can be reclaimed for them. It doesn't have to be with us, but they can get the confidence that they can go out and do it too and have a blast. Way, way better doing it um, without ha without being, you know, tethered to alcohol. It's just, it's, it's a great way to live. Um, after Glow Recovery on Facebook, uh, we spend a lot of time just goofing off. I mean, After Glow for us is a supplement to what is already people's program so um we kind of consider ourselves if if you're if you if your recovery was a vehicle ellie sam you guys are the mechanics you know if your car has a problem you, you we we push people to you to to get the deep inner mechanical work to make sure their engine is running smooth afterglow for us it's kind of like an accessory. We're just like that subwoofer in your car. We want to add a little bit of rhythm. Um, even in sobriety, your life is going to be busy. We want to be kind of like that cool bass note that says, yeah, I have that on the periphery. If I need a laugh, if I need a bolt of inspiration, or if I need an escape to go out and take a vacation with a little bit of hand holding, um, we just want to we want to be an accessory to people's program that they already have. So if they come from, you know, Annie Grace's program, your coaching program, you know, Recovery Elevator, if they come from different programs, we're not, you know, harvesting, you know, people to, to make them our own. We're constantly pushing people out to, to people like you who are doing the earnest good work of fixing people's insides. We just get to be like... <laughs> Tammy calls me. You're like the fun uncle of recovery. You know, it's like <laughs> the fun, the the fun uncle gets yeah. to give people sweets and you know, <laughs> toss people around on the teeter totter, and then I'll send them back to you to go eat your peas. You know, <laughs> I can't think of anyone uh, better that or any anyone else who I would entrust with with that. And it seems very important to me. Like, there's nothing more than an injection of joy into life. Looks like the. Uh, the most healing thing that any of us could find so it's doing you're doing incredible work and um thanks for coming on and sharing about it and uh yeah yeah it just sounds amazing man just keep it up it sounds Glad great we got to do it yeah thanks for being you jeff i'm oh god it's it's been a long time coming as we said but i'm just it's been so wonderful and i'm really excited about doing it again and um i'm 
after this, I'm going to go off and pull out my Aerosmith album because I haven't listened to, <laughs> listened to Aerosmith for, for years. It was my nineties. Yeah, teenager. So yeah. Wonderful. I appreciate Thank you, you guys. And Absolutely. You, Thanks for having me. You're so welcome.